upcoming classes following this class. You may have heard about these, but to let you know, they're in the same theme as this, this parenting class. One we announced this last Sunday, and we're going to be doing a, a one-night class for parents who have teenagers called Living with Teens. The Lewis family, their members here, maybe you've met them, Craig and Tricia. Craig and Tricia, they've got three sons who are, I think, 20, 22, and 24. So they've lived through them, them being teenagers. Uh, Nathan, Adam, and Bryce. Anyway, so Craig and Tricia are going to lead that uh, next Tuesday. I'm looking forward to it. I'd encourage all of you to make it if you can, uh, as well as any parents who aren't here tonight or uh, parents you know that have uh, teenagers. We wanted to offer something specifically for for them. Uh, they're going to do it in a panel format. So mom, dad, and their sons will be will be up here. Um, they're going to give brief testimony just about their family. Uh, give a a few foundational principles that were just particularly helpful for them, and then they're going to open it up for uh, questions and try to get some dialogue going amongst parents who have who have teens or or preteens. And um, if that's slow to get going, they've got some questions that they're gonna they're gonna throw out to get the conversation going. So anyway, I'm looking forward to that. That's next Tuesday, May 14th, Living with Teens. May 29th, also a Wednesday night. It'll be the the Wednesday following uh, our last Leading Little Ones class. So May 29th is going to be our baptism class. Baptism class applies to, uh, it can be helpful to many different people. Uh, if you've been baptized and you don't really know what your baptism means or meant, it can be helpful to come here and understand what baptism is. If you um, are thinking about getting baptized here, Maybe you've never been baptized as a believer and that's something you want to do. Uh, this would be a great class to come to. We have our baptism event, church-wide event in June. And it's actually a requirement if anybody wants to be baptized at that event, they need to go to the baptism class so they understand uh, what it is they're, they're getting into. So useful for those people. As well, the reason we do it right after the parenting class is my my favorite part about that class is is talking about when do we baptize our children which is a which is a really good question and sort of a neglected question so uh, we talk about that you know what are what are we looking for in our children you know when do we baptize them we baptize them as uh, some baptize infants some some are quick to baptize four five six years old Um, some say you got to wait till they're at least uh, 11 or 12 Uh, some will wait until they're 18 and and then there's every view in between so we'll uh, we'll try to help you and equip you and give you some wisdom so that you can you can think through that may 29th june 19th and june 26th those two wednesdays in june um, is a class we're doing called Foundations for Fathers. So those two Wednesdays is specifically targeted to to dads. So it's going to be additional inform- It's going to be additional teaching to what we're going to be going over here in the next three weeks, but targeted for fathers. So going to give you uh, give dads some resources as well, and uh, try to give them some e- equipping and talk about foundation and what are some really important things for dads specifically. So. That's June 19th and June 26th. Then in October, uh, the three Wednesdays in October, October 9th, 16th, and 
23rd, we're going to do a class called The Family Worshiping Together. So those are going to be super practical. Uh, those are going to be three classes uh, designated to uh, helping us understand what it means to worship together as a family, not as a church family, but as your family in your home, and then giving you a bunch of, a bunch of ideas of how you can facilitate that and begin to worship together as a family in the home. And then when you come and worship with the church, it's like it's an expression of that. It's an overflow of that. But you're worshiping in your home first, which is a practice that uh, was was a part of the church. Actually, daily family worship, a part of the church at large until about a couple hundred years ago. And then it kind of fell off, fell off the map. Um, but you know, like Charles Spurgeon family example would worship together as a family twice a day, morning and evening. So. Looking forward to that class. And then November 3rd, we're going to be getting resources out for, uh, for families in regards to Advent. So we're going to make a really big deal of Christmas this year, bigger than we ever had before. We're going to celebrate the whole Advent season, which means the four Sundays before, uh, uh, before whenever Christmas falls. So the whole month of December is going to be a big, a big, big party here at Veritas celebrating the birth of Jesus and longing for it and looking forward to that celebration. So we're going to celebrate Advent, which just means the coming, coming of Jesus Christ. And we're going to, in early November, uh, a couple weeks after that family worship class, we're going, to, we're going to pump out a bunch of resources for you to have as families so that you can um, celebrate Advent in, in your home. Give you some ideas of how to, how to make an Advent wreath and, and how, to, how to celebrate passages to read and, and give you some booklets, outlines, things like that. So anyway, you see a theme there, hopefully. Um, and the theme is to uh, apply God's Word to to ourselves as as families god's word has a lot to say about husbands and wives and moms and dads and children and and we want to we want to go through that this year and and begin a a pattern a pattern with our people so anyway hopefully you can make it make it to a bunch of that um if you didn't grab one of these on your way in feel free to grab one or two Um, grab a couple of these uh the, the plan over these next three weeks is uh, I'd like to give you this as a free resource tonight. Uh, I've got another resource I'm going to give to you uh, next Wednesday. And then the, the, the following Wednesday, we're, I'm going to do like a, a raffle. I'm going to raffle off a prize. So I'll tell you more about that in a minute. That's pretty bad. But what's that? Yeah. <laughs> That'd just be wrong, wouldn't it? Uh, who will be king? Uh, the best way I can describe this, you know, is, is, is I call it a gospel tract for, uh, for kids. So uh, my boys love this. Uh, we've gone through it since they were little. Uh, but it just goes through, if you look, and it, it outlines the gospel. And it gives it in a, a real simplistic way for kids to understand. And so we've, we've always got a lot of these on hand here. We've got them available. Uh, but that's a, a free gift for you you tonight. So as well, um, I'll give you a resource next week. And then at the end of our uh, end of our time together. So in in two more Wednesdays, I'm going to give you a list of resources, resources, uh, uh, resources about parenting and resources for parenting. Okay, so books and resources that are helping you to understand what 
parenting is, if you want to dig deeper, and also for parenting that you can actually uh, use and, and, and go home and, and, and read with your kids. I will mention uh, probably a lot of different resources as we go. I mean, I'll mention a few tonight. And, and everything, don't worry about writing that down, because every resource that I mention or bring up in any of these classes, it's, it's on that recommended resource list that I'm going to give you at the, the very last class. Let's talk about the class outline. Uh, I named this class Leading Little Ones. We did a class a couple years ago called, called Gospel-Centered Parenting. And I, I changed the name to Leading Little Ones. And it will totally change the class, actually. And rewrote the, uh, rewrote the curriculum for these three weeks. And I did that for a couple reasons. A couple reasons we're, we're calling this Leading Little Ones and not calling it Gospel-Centered Parenting. The first one, it might be obvious just in the title, right, is that this class is specifically uh, geared towards the the parenting of little ones. Okay, I think we said, you know, under age, under age 10. I mean, the things you're going to learn are applicable to other ages, but but it's specifically geared toward uh, toward little ones. And this is simply because I lack experience with big ones. That's the only that's the only reason there. You know, my oldest son is 10. And so I, I, re, I remember that two years ago that it just felt I just felt presumptuous uh, and and ill equipped and uh, talking about raising teenagers, you know, and things like that. So that's why we're doing that class next Tuesday uh, by some parents who have done that. Uh, but this is really going to be focused on on leading little ones and as well. You should know this about this class, uh, probably figuring it out because it's only three weeks, is that this is not meant to be a comprehensive parenting class. So this class isn't called Everything You Need to Know About Parenting. Uh, this, is, this is far from that. There is simply a lot of parenting information and scripture that we're not, we're not going to cover just for time's sake. We're choosing to boil it down in three weeks. Specifically, here is the goal. Uh, my focus, my focus will be to encourage and fundamentally equip you to lead your young children toward and to Christ. So that's what that's what I'm thinking about when I'm preparing the lessons for this class. I'm thinking specifically encouraging and fundamentally equipping you to lead your young children toward and to Christ. That is, that is it. Now, if you want a fuller, if you want a fuller treatment of parenting, uh, that really is going to get a lot deeper, and I think cover the bases. There'll be a few of them that I, are on that resource list, but um, here's here's just a couple books that that we would recommend. Uh, one is Shepherding a Child's Heart by by Ted Tripp. This is a, a favorite here. We we love this book, uh, Shepherding a Child's Heart. I will cover. Uh, at least tonight, some of the material that is that is in this book. So shepherding a child's heart, and I'd recommend that along with instructing a child's heart. They really they really go together. So we, we sell we sell these in our library. Uh, do we sell instructing a child's heart? Okay. So shepherding a child's heart, instructing a child's heart. Uh, recommend those, and then probably my uh, this is my my current favorite right now. And I just finished this book would be by Joel Beakey called Parenting by God's Promises. Really good book. Uh, really practical book. 
we love practical things and we love practical books, right? We like to connect the truth of Scripture to everyday life. So this book does a really good job of not just being theoretical, but but being very practical for you. So love, love, love this book. Uh, just a, a disclaimer. There was a couple things that we would as elders deny uh, in this book. One is uh, the author is a paedo-baptist, which means that he, he, w- he will call children covenant children, and we wouldn't call our children covenant children. We would, we would phrase that differently. And because they call their children covenant children, um, he, the, the tradition that he's in, they baptize infants. And we don't baptize infants here. We baptize believers. So that, he, that comes up in his book in, in that he talks about covenant children and so you may read that and say well what does that what does that mean and he explains it but just so you know that wouldn't be what the elders here hold to but solid solid book a lot of wisdom from this man to uh joel beaky it's b-e-e-k-e okay tonight's class is called uh let me give you the three class titles tonight's class is called what parents are for what parents are for. This will be the least uh, least practical class as far as, as spelling out right what we do. Uh, this will be mostly an understand class, right? This is these are things we need to understand. We need to understand that this is who we are as parents, and then we'll we'll start heading down that application trail in the next couple of weeks and a bit tonight. So tonight, what parents are for. The second class. It's called Prophets, Priests, Kings, and Oxen. Prophets, Priests, Kings, and Oxen. That'll make sense when we get there. But we're going to talk a lot about very, you know, hands-on. What does this mean now? How do I do this and, and live and breathe this in my family? So class two, Prophets, Priests, Kings, and Oxen. And then class three, the title is When You Sin and You Will... A lot, which I, I hope will be uh, like an encouragement, an encouragement to some of you. So class one, what parents are for, that's tonight. Class two, prophets, priests, kings and oxen. Class three, when you sin and you will a lot. And then the future classes for fathers and practical help for uh, families and family worship, which I had already mentioned. Last thing, and then I'll get to introducing tonight's class specifically. Uh, the format is is going to be roughly an hour, roughly an hour to you know forty five minutes, roughly to an hour of instruction, okay, of teaching. Uh, I'll ask a few questions in there, but it's going to be mostly mostly instruction. If there's a question you you can't hang on to, I do like like to give you the option to ask the question, but just know you'll totally disrupt the class. <laughs> I want to save time at the end of every class for uh, for questions, not necessarily answers, but questions. So uh, the last 15, 20 minutes, plan to get out of here by 7.30 each time. Um, but whatever time we have there at the end, if there are questions, I want to give you an opportunity to uh, to ask them as well. When it comes to questions, hopefully you grabbed a little piece of scratch paper on your way in. Uh, I would like you between now and then, including tonight, between now and the, the end of this, uh, the instruction time, I'd like you to write at least one question, write at least one question uh, each week, okay, fold it up and put it in the, uh, 
in the box back here. Put it in the box. So one question per couple is fine, but but write down one question that, that you have uh, because the very last time that we're together, uh, maybe the last half of our time together will just be question and answer, and it'll be addressing specifically uh, the questions that, that come in. So if there's like, if one question gets asked three or four times, then I'm probably going to ask it. And, and depending on what the questions are, uh, my wife, Kristen, she might join me in answering those, those questions. So I'd like a lot of questions. It's helpful for me. It helps me know where, 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 where maybe we're missing uh, and what you're sort of desperate for or what, what, what needs you have that maybe this class isn't going to meet. Uh, I'd like to know what those are. So, so write those questions. As well, if you're comfortable, uh, sign your name to that question. Unless you think it's a really you know, bad question or it's awkward or uncomfortable, you don't want to sign your name, that's fine. But sign your name because the, the last class, um, I'm gonna get, we're going to give out like a, a, a few, several resources. It's going to be like a parenting kit, right? And it's going to go to whoever's question with a name gets, gets drawn out of there. So the incentive is to write a lot of questions. And it kind of makes sense because if you write a lot of questions, it increases your odds. And if you've got a lot of questions, you're probably the one that needs the kit. So anyway, so write questions. Uh, sign your name to them if you're not ashamed of the question. Let me introduce tonight's content specifically. Um, tonight, what parents are for. Veritas, as I'm sure all of you know, means truth. We talk a lot about truth here. We love the truth. Truth is very important. And one of my daily prayers, one of my daily prayers is in regards to truth. My prayer is, God, help me to understand your word today. Help me to understand your word. Help me to retain your word. Right? That it would be in, like embedded in my soul. And help me to apply your word. Help me to apply your word to myself, to my family, to my church, to my nation. And when I pray that, what I'm really praying is, is God... Help, help me to see everything through the lens of your scripture. Because my desire, and I hope your desire, is to see everything for what it really is. To see everything for what it really is. To see everything truthfully. Marriage, education, sexuality, politics, finances, competition, entertainment, food, work on and on and on all of these realities that are in our lives but the bible speaks to that the bible interprets for us the bible gives us wisdom and understanding in regard to all these issues and more and so my hope is that i would be able to see everything in this life including parenting okay to see everything truthfully the reality of of what it is so because of Christianity, okay, because of Christianity, because of the gospel, because God has revealed himself to a people, because God has revealed himself through his word to a people, we as Christians, we see everything for what it actually is. Right? We, 
we're free to not believe any any lies or uh, the, the delusions that are out there or the misconceptions of, of what is really true. We are free as Christians because we have God's revelation straight from God to us as a people to understand everything in this world for what it actually is. I think this is what C.S. Lewis meant when he said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. Okay, so Christianity, the gospel, God's word, it it enables you not just to see Christ, not just to see God, but it enables you to see everything and to understand what what is what is real in this life. So parenting in that regard, parenting is no exception. Parenting is no exception. So what I'd like to do tonight in this class is as I want to start by putting on our uh, proper putting on proper lenses. Okay, and think of think of God's word as a, as a pair of glasses. Okay, think of God's word as, as lenses through which we look at everything in this world. So my purpose in tonight's class, what parents are for, is, is I want us to together look through proper lenses to look through. God's word that we may think rightly, think rightly of children, think rightly of parents and think rightly of the call of parenting or other words that you could substitute there. The work of parenting, the, the labor of parenting, the, the joy of parenting, the, the burden of parenting. OK, so we want to look at those things through God's God's eyes and that'll get us started for the weeks to come. So let's pray. Let's start off. Our Father in heaven, help us to understand your truth. God, equip us as a people to defend and apply your truth. Make us pillars of truth. Help us, God, and help those in our care to see your infinite value. And Lord, we ask that you would loosen our grip on everything that is passing away in this world. Make knowledge of you and consequent delighting and service and obedience the chief desire of our lives. And Lord, we pray that this would not merely be our ambition, but our reality. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I will follow this outline fairly tightly. As opposed to when I preach, when I teach, I'll, I'll, I'll read a lot. I'm just going to read a lot of this outline. And we'll also move through it fairly quickly. So if you think of a question, uh, jot it down. I was joking earlier about the disruption. So if you need to ask it during the class, that's fine. Go ahead and ask it. Uh, but I will save some time at the end. So number one. You can see all the headings there, right? In bold. We're going to work through. They should be back there. Yeah, you're good. I see some back there. Take an outline and a... Yes, he's on it. So your headings tonight, a biblical view of children, a biblical view of parents and parenting, a biblical goal of parenting, a biblical target of parenting, and a biblical means of parenting. So again, to lot, uh, uh, to lot. Tonight is a lot of understand, 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 understand. 
And then next week we start with do, do, do. And that is the Christian life. The Christian life is understand, understand, and now I do. Believe, 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 and now apply and live your life accordingly. So number one, a biblical view of children. So what we're asking is, how does God view children? We want to think rightly about children. Now, of course, these are not all the verses in the Bible about children, but it's a sampling and it's enough to get us a biblical view of children. Genesis 1:28. to Adam and Eve, God said, he blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. So children are part of God's plan. Children are part of God's plan. That's important to understand. Children are a part of God's plan. We are commanded. We are commanded to have children. Again, this is a mandate for uh, mankind. This is, wasn't just Adam and Eve. So we are actually commanded as far as within our ability. We are commanded to have children and not just children, but it speaks to how we raise our children as well. Even in Genesis one twenty eight, right? What kind of children, what kind of life are we supposed to promote? Fruitful. Okay, fruitful, not just midget demons running around. They're fruitful children, Lord willing. Not just a bunch of, never mind. Psalm 139, 13. My filter is going to be on like high, just so you know. So I'll probably start and stop a lot of sentences. Uh, Psalm 139, 13. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. This tells us that children ultimately are created and formed by God. Children ultimately are created and formed by God. Children truly are a, a miracle. Right? We all understand the birds and the beans. We all understand what is humanly necessary for procreation. But the truth is, what Scripture tells us is that children are miracles. They're miracles. Children are, are, are ultimately created and formed by God. Genesis 33, 5. When Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, these were Jacob's, who are these with you? And Jacob said, the children whom God, how does he describe his children? Whom God has graciously given your servant. These are the children that God has graciously given me. And Psalm 127, 3 through 5. Behold, children are heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. So these two scriptures also tell us that children are a gift from God, which means the children are a blessing and they're not a burden. Children are a blessing. They are not a burden because children are a gift from God. So there, this isn't just God's means of populating the earth, right? Children are a, a present. Okay, a wonderful present from God to his, his people. Psalm 113.9 He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. John 16.21 When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. 
Okay, those of you gals who've given birth, you, you know this sorrow intimately. She has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So these scriptures tell us that children are a source of great joy and great satisfaction. Great joy and great satisfaction. Read Psalm 113.9 again. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So it is, it is, God, who, um, it is God who blesses a, a woman by enabling her to have children and giving her a child for her joy. God blesses a woman or a woman and a husband who are not able to have children by giving them an opportunity to adopt a child and and bring that child into their home for their joy. A gift from God. For His glory and for their joy. I've even spoken with older couples who reflect back on their life and, and they were never able to have children of their own. And uh, for whatever reason, they never considered a- adopting children or didn't even realize it was a possibility. Or... And now here they are, and they're, they're past the age where they're able to have children, and they're past the age where they're uh, comfortable a- adopting children. And then they come to a church that is filled with children. <laughs> children for them to love. Children for them to nurture and children for them to care for. Now, children are a source of great joy and, and satisfaction. How did Jesus view children? Matthew nineteen thirteen through 15. Then children were brought to Him that He might lay His hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. The set of verses is one of the reasons we have children with us in church. The disciples were the first ones that tried to kick the kids out of the worship service. And what did Jesus say? He said, now bring them here. Don't compartmentalize. Bring them here. Come sit on my lap. He puts him on his lap and talks to him. He goes to Matthew 18, 1 through 6. Listen to what he said about children. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Does Jesus love children? Jesus loves children. Jesus loves, loves children. Did Jesus ever have children of his own? No. No. Like, wait a minute, I saw the Da Vinci Code. No, Jesus did not have children of his own. Did Jesus love children? Jesus loved children. And we also learn here that a child's trust in 
And dependence on their parents serves as an example to Christians who should trust in and depend on God, their father. When God says to imitate children here, Jesus says to imitate children. He's not saying, you know, be childish. He's not saying, see, real, real believers are, are immature for their entire life and they never get a job and they always mooch off their parents and play video games all day. That's not what he means. He says specifically, right, what does he point out? He says, uh, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child. So he's pointing to the, 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 the humility that is in children. Okay? The child, you've heard of childlike trust and dependence on. And parents, just, or children naturally trust their parents. As adults, we, we typically naturally are untrusting, right? And slow to trust. But there was a time when we weren't like that. Children actually have to be taught to not trust their parents. They just trust their parents, right? Your kids aren't worried about whether or not they're going to eat tomorrow. They just, they know they're going to eat tomorrow. They're not worried that they're going to be cared for tomorrow. They just know they're going to be cared for tomorrow. And Jesus says, you need to, we have a lot to learn from our children. We have a lot to learn from our children. The humility, the ESV study Bible says that the humility of a child consists of childlike trust, vulnerability, and the inability to advance his or her own cause apart from the help, direction, and resources of a parent. That is great. So the conclusion here is that children are created by God and are entrusted to us as blessed gifts. So this is our theology of children this is our philosophy of children this is how we view children as christians children are created by god and are entrusted to us as blessed gifts that is very important because our culture does not view children this way our culture does not view children this way sadly the the pattern is more likely in our culture to be you know number one to avoid children it's to avoid children. Try not to have children. Try not to have children. If a child is conceived, to try not to go to term with that child is common. So we try to avoid children. Uh, if we do have children, we tend to abdicate or outsource our responsibility for our children. So tend to neglect children. Parents, we try to avoid children and then try to abdicate the responsibility, but of course can't escape some responsibility for their children, tend to resent their children. Tend to resent their children and what their, their, their children are, the kind of life that their children are robbing them from having. And then often those parents grow up and then they look back and they reflect and they regret. It's a really sad state of affairs and it's pretty common. And it's rooted in not having a right understanding of children. In the first century, when, uh, when the entire New Testament was written, uh, the Romans largely saw children as a nuisance. The Romans largely saw children as a nuisance because they inhibited uh, sexual promiscuity and they complicated divorce, which you see as well today. Children seen as a nuisance because they complicate uh, or they hinder sexual promiscuity and they, they complicate divorce. They just, they just make a, a mess. Some of you uh, have experienced this when you've been around someone or maybe you yourself have, have, have announced uh, that you're pregnant and it was not received the way that you thought that it would be received by others. 
Like, again? We definitely got that. We definitely got that. Didn't you just, didn't you just have one? <laughs> you know, because I, I forget, but I think Peyton was just, a, he was just, you know, like six months old when we were announcing that we were having Brady. People say things, you know, jokes. What's the joke everybody says? You, you know it causes that, right? Well, Chris and I always just had fun with that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> the best part. <laughs> but it is sad. Sometimes I've seen this. I've, I've literally seen uh, a mom a- announce that she is going to have a child. And that news was received almost as if she said that she was diagnosed with some kind of a disease. So we see this just culturally in how in how people respond. More than two kids seems to be an accident in most people's mind. In fact, there's a book about it that I just started reading. Uh, it's an interesting book. This this guy's not a he's not a Christian, but the title of his book is "What to Expect When No One Is Expecting." What to expect when no one is expecting? It's really interesting. And basically, what he does is, is he he looks at though he wouldn't identify it the same way. He just looks at the birth rate today. The, 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 the total birth rate, and, and no one wants to have children, especially Americans, especially young, college-educated, white American females. He focuses on that demographic at, at large. But he looks at the, the, the birth rate of the United States of America which, which we would say, if, if we have this understanding of who children are, and we, if we despise children, trying to avoid children, this is what's happening. As a culture, we don't want to have children, and maybe, maybe one at the most. So w- what's going to happen? The point that he's making in this book is that we are, we're wiping ourselves out as a culture. They give it a few centuries, and we won't be here anymore because we're not having enough children. And so that's what we can expect when, when no one is expecting. But I think this helps us to grasp really this view of children that is common in our culture, that we're kind of laying this, this biblical view over. So I'm going to read you a little uh, a, portion, a portion of this. And I think it's interesting. Uh, it's kind of funny. But it's one of those things that's kind of funny, and then you think about it, and it's kind of sad. Uh, in 2008, uh, he, he lives in Old Town, Alexandria, which apparently is a historic suburb of Washington, D.C. In 2008, a new shopping hub opened just down the street from our lovely little riverfront condo in Old Town. Naturally, the development was anchored by a coffee shop. It was also home to an upscale gastro pub, I don't even know what that is, a smoothie cafe, a salon, a Russian gourmet market, a dry cleaner, and a children's clothing store. After 18 months of sluggish sales, the children's boutique, preciously named Tuto Bambini, went out of business. It was replaced by a doggy spa, which would be unremarkable except that the turnover left Old Town with six luxury pet stores and only two shops dedicated to clothing children. The pet market has been steadily increasing in America since the 80s, with people not only acquiring more furry little dependents, but spending more on them too. In 1994, Americans spent... $17 billion on pets. By 2008, that number had risen to $43 billion. By 2010, even in the face of a massive recession, it had climbed over $48 billion. 
The evidence suggests that pets are increasingly treated like actual family members. In 1998, the average dog-owning American household spent $383 on medical care for their dogs. By 2006, that figure had risen to $672. Expenditures on doggy grooming aids more than doubled from $59 to $127. In surveys from 1947 to 1985, fewer than half of Americans reported that they owned a pet. Today, American pets now outnumber American children by more than four to one. Those numbers, of course, don't reveal the full scope of America's pet mania. Auto insurance companies now offer policies for pets traveling in cars. Wealthy dog owners have successfully lobbied for changes in a state law allowing pets to legally receive inheritances and trust funds. A bill put forward in Congress recently called for a $3,500 tax break for pet care expenses, which is more than families get for a child. The Happy Act, Humanity and Pets Partnered Through the Years, happily failed to reach a vote on the floor of the House. And then one more short paragraph. So with this housekeeping behind us, let's put America's fertility problem into the starkest relief possible. China is famous for its one-child policy. Instituted in 1979, one child decimated the country's fertility, driving the, the TFR, total fertility rate, downward and preventing over the course of 30 years. Let me say that, so, let me say that again. This policy, the one-child policy instituted in 1979, that China instituted, it decimated the country's fertility, driving the fertility rate downward so that over the course of 30 years, prevented were somewhere between 100 million and 400 million births. The one-child policy employs an array of coercive measures to prevent couples from having babies. Violators are often taxed or fired from their jobs. There are forced sterilizations and forced abortions. Sometimes their homes are raised as punishment. As a result of one child, the fertility rate in China is roughly 1.54. In America... The fertility rate for white, college-educated women, we'll use them because they serve as a fair proxy for our middle class, is 1.6. In other words, America has created its very own one-child policy. It's soft and unintentional, the result of accidents of history and thousands of little choices, but it has been just as effective. Last sentence. In the country at large, 33% of households contain children under the age of 18. In Old Town, where he's from, only 12% of households have children. And even those intrepid enough to start families don't have very many kids. The average family in Old Town consists of a mother, a father, and 0.57 children. That's right. The average married couple has a wee bit more than half a child. It gives us a perspective. It gives us a perspective. It's interesting, if, in my own experience, um, in, in my own experience, uh, pet, I see pet owners so much more engaged with their pets at a dog park than moms with their kids at playgrounds. It's the weirdest thing, and I encourage you to watch. Go to a dog park and watch dog owners engage with their pets. And then go to a playground and see moms with their kids. And, and what are the moms doing? 
I mean, you gotta have some of that, right? You gotta have some of that. I understand. But that that might be for a lot of moms. That might that might be a big regret later on that they could be saved from. Children are created by God, and they are entrusted to us as blessed gifts. So, therefore, what is what is our duty and our disposition toward them? Right? We love kids. We we should love children. We love them. We love children. We enjoy children. We carefully consider children. We pray for children. We desire children. We're responsible for children. We are thankful for children. All children, and especially, of course, right, our children. Right? Hopefully you... Hopefully you love all children, but then you got your children. They're not just children. They're your children. Okay, We love children. And we love children because, because, hear that, not just because they're cute and they're cuddly and they're ours. But we love children because they were created by God and they were entrusted to us as blessed gifts. Now, I think that is the most important point of tonight's of tonight's lesson, and I really think that everything flows from a proper understanding of children as gifts entrusted to us, created created by God. So let's let's go through the rest of this. Number two. So a biblical view then of parents and parenting. Here's a definition of parents. Parents are those graciously entrusted with children so that they may labor for their good and God's glory through them. Okay, parent, there's your job description. That is your job description. Parents are those graciously entrusted with children so that they may labor for their good and God's glory through them. So what are parents for? Parents are for their children. So moms, dads, you are for your children. You exist for your children. The Bible does not talk about parent rearing. Children are not here to serve us. We are here to serve our children. Children are not here to raise. I know you see that. You have friends, right? Like, I'm not sure who's doing the raising here or the rearing. But it talks about child rearing. We are, we are here for children. We're here to serve them, to bless them to help them, to care for them, to protect them, to provide for them, to nurture them, and to, uh, what this means is to deny ourselves for them. So you deny yourself for your child, okay? You give up sleep for your child. You give up rest for your child. You give up hobbies for your child. You give us sports for your child. You, you, you give up favorite pastimes for your child. You give up free time for your child. Those are sacrifices. They absolutely are. But there, you're doing a good thing. That's a good thing that you are doing because you are for your children. As a parent, this is my dialogue, so as a parent, I am here to, to my boys, to my daughter, I am here for your good and God's glory through you. That is why... I, I'm a lot of things. I'm a, I'm a man. I'm a husband. I'm a pastor. I'm a parent. I'm a father. And I exist. I could look at my kids and tell them, right? I exist for your good. This is why I'm on earth as relates to you. I am here for your good 
and for God's glory through you. Number three, a biblical goal of parenting. A biblical goal of parenting. I think that definition of parenting that I just gave, I, I, I think that most people, Christian or not, would agree with, with parts of, of our definition of, of parents. I think most people would agree. What is distinctly Christian, though, in that, in that definition, parents are those graciously entrusted with children so that they may labor for their good and God's glory through them. I think what's distinctly Christian is the word entrusted. That view of children, they're entrusted. That means we say our kids belong to us and we say our kids are mine and we all understand what we mean by that, but they're really not ours. They're really God's children entrusted to us. Okay, so that word entrusted and then that, that phrase, God's glory through them. I think that's distinctly Christian, but most would agree that parents should labor for the good of their children. I think most parents, whether they're regenerate Christians or not, I think they would say, yeah, I, I want what's best for my children and I am here for the good of my children. But here's the question to ask them. What is good for our children? And that's where we might start to have different understandings. What is good for our children? So let's read these verses. What is ultimately, I'm going to plead with you, what is ultimately good for your children? According to these verses, Genesis 18, 19. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Deuteronomy chapter 6, 1 through 9. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. And he gets more specific now. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today, they shall be on your heart. Now, verse 7. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Children, it addresses first. Obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you. So there it is. Here's what's good for a child, that it may go well for you and that you may live long in the land. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but rather bring them up. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So here's what I'm getting from these verses. Here, here's what it sounds to me like from God's word is good for our children because that's going to help me understand what is the biblical goal of parenting. What I get is good for my children based on these verses is 
what is good for our children is that they may know and believe and obey and enjoy and proclaim God. Our children will be happiest in Christ. The, the best for our kids is God. And so the goal of parenting, a biblical goal of parenting, or hope, if you want to use that word, is that children would know, our children would know and believe and obey and enjoy and proclaim God. So the primary goal, I'm saying the primary goal, what we're moving toward, the primary hope for our children is their salvation. That is a biblical goal of parenting. That we would train up a child in the way he should go so that when he is old, he will not depart from it. That means so that he will, he will walk with God all the days of his life. Our goal is that our children would be saved. The goal is not then, and we'll talk more about this in weeks to come, the goal is not behavior modification. It's not that they would be good little boys and good little girls. Everybody loves a good little boy and a good little girl. But that's not our chief goal here or hope. It's bigger than that. It, the goal is not a comfortable life. I know you want your kids to have a comfortable life. I'd like my kids to have a comfortable life. That is not the goal. The goal is not their happiness. The goal is not unlimited opportunity. These are all things that I hear. The goal is not uh, self-sufficiency. The, the goal is that our children would turn to God. So that's the goal of, if that is a biblical goal of parenting, then that, that begs the question, do our do our prayers reflect this? Does your prayer life reflect this? Do, or do we plead for the salvation of our children? Do we plead for the salvation of our children? Do our words reflect this? Do our actions reflect this? Charles Spurgeon said this about his mom. He knew that his mom, that it was her greatest goal that he would be saved. I cannot tell how much I owe the solemn words of my good mother. I remember her praying on one occasion thus. Now, Lord, if my children go on in their sins, it will not be from ignorance that they perish. And my soul must bear a swift witness against them at the day of judgment if they lay not hold of Christ. That's a mama with a clear conscience who is pleading for the salvation of her children. And this is what he said. The thought of my mother bearing a swift witness against me pierced my conscience. How can I ever forget when she bowed her knee and with her arms around my neck and prayed, Oh, that my son may live before thee. I would encourage you to pray like this for your children. Pray that God would save them. And don't be afraid to pray that in front of them. Pray that with them. Pray that beside their, beside their bed. Pray it privately. Pray it publicly. Number four. This is where I'm leaning heavily on Ted Tripp's book, Shepherding a Child's Heart. So if this number four really 
grabs you. I encourage you to read more in that book. Number four, a biblical target of parenting. Okay, what, what is the what, what is the direction we're moving? What is the trajectory here? What is the target of parenting? In parenting, our target is the hearts of our children. We'll make a distinction here. That may seem kind of duh to you. But our target in parenting, our target is the hearts of our children. Okay, we don't just want... Uh, remember Jesus uses the metaphor of a clean cup. And it looks clean on the outside, but inside the cup is filthy. He describes the Pharisees that way. Okay, we do not want clean cups. This is not what you want with your kids. Sometimes my kids, it's like, I think the inside's pretty clean and the outside's a wreck. <laughs> we don't want something where the, the outside is just clean and everything is polished and you have a child who, who behaves well. And, and says the right words and, and has good manners and says the right things and sings the right songs and, and memorizes the right scriptures and knows the right... You don't want that and have a dirty inside of the cup and a heart that is far from God. And so there's ways of parenting where you just you get the outside of the cup looking good and you modify behavior and we end up with good little boys and girls, but they're not good little boys and girls because they love Jesus. They're, they're good little boys and girls because they've learned that that's what gets them what they want. And so it's very different. I liken it to my boys' rooms. Okay, and I think that I don't, I don't want children like a typical clean boy's room in our house. The typical boy clean room in our house is you walk in and you're like, wow, this is a really clean room until you open the closet and look under the bed. And you open the closet and you look under the bed and there's like rotten apple cores. And there is there is there is unidentifiable items that require forensic investigation. Right. Because what happened? Everything was just shoved under there and it looks great and presentable. But inside it's not. So a few scriptures that address this. Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Luke 6. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. Figs are not gathered from thorn bushes. Grapes not picked from bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So what these verses are teaching us, and, and many more, is that our hearts are the center and core of who we are. So if we want children who are saved, if we want children who love Jesus, if, we're, if we have certain goals with parenting, our target is the heart. We want, we want to reach the, the core of their being. The, 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 the very, their very souls is, is who we want to reach when dealing with our children. Because from them, from their hearts, comes everything that we say, everything that we desire, and everything that we do. With our hearts, we repent, believe, sing, love, hate, fear, worship, turn away, seek God, lust, remember, pray, think, grieve, see. All of these things begin in the heart and then manifest themselves in words and activity. So the target of parenting is figuring out how to affect the heart of a child. Some more scriptures. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen. 
What do we learn about what's in the heart of our children? Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. There's folly in the heart of children. Mark 7, 21, 23. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts and sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. So we know this about our children, that that our hearts are by nature sinful. Our hearts are by nature sinful. So we want to go after the heart. We want to affect the heart. We also know this. God looks at the heart. First Samuel 16, 7. The Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So what is God after? God's after the heart. God's looking at the heart. God's affecting the heart. So what is our target? Our target is the heart. Matthew 15, 8. Jesus talks about these people. They're these whitewashed tombs, these clean cups, these clean boys' rooms. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. His heart is far from me. So we've got to remember that when we're dealing with our children, when we have these, these, these understandings of who our children are, we have this, these goals for our children and their salvation and to disciple them. We've got to make sure that, that our target is, is their heart. I, I find myself forgetting this. Just I'm forgetful with this. And I neglect it. You know, having my son apologize when he's really not, he's really not sorry. So it's, the words are right, right? Confess me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Find myself being satisfied with that, you know. You need to apologize for what you've done. You need to repent from what you've done. Sorry. Okay, good. Then we move on, right? This is convenient, or I've got something else I've gotta I've gotta do. But I I, I neglected the heart. Because what did his tone reveal to me? Did his tone reveal to me that his heart was really repentant, that he was really sorry for what he had done? No. It showed me that his his heart was still, his heart was still in in rebellion. Okay, or we or we can get caught up trying to just 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 make our kids act well and and save us from embarrassment. And so we've got tricks and we know ways that we can get them to be behave well. So we make threats. You know, if you if you do this one more time, okay, I mean it this time. No, really, seriously, I really mean it. If you do it one more time for the eighth time, I just might do something about it. And we we're making threats to try to get them to behave a certain way, or 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 we make a emotional appeals, right? You're making you're making mommy sad, or you're making daddy sad when you do this, or or you look at the embarrassment that you're causing, and and look look at how. But, but none of these are, are going after the, the heart, right? None of these are, are addressing what's, what's really taking place in the heart of this child. None of them are saying, hey, you just, you just, you just hit your brother. Why did you hit your brother? What, what, were you, what were you feeling before you hit your brother? I was angry. You were, okay, what, what, what made you angry? Well, he, he called me a name. He called you. What, what did he call you? They're always willing to tell me. 
yeah, that, that made you upset. That made you angry. And said that that would make me upset, too. That would make me angry, too. So you're so you're struggling in your heart. You're helping him now, right? So are you tell you're struggling in your heart to return evil with good? You're, you're struggling. You're, you're right now. You want to love yourself more than you want to love your brother. And you're, you're having a hard time overlooking this offense. And it's feeling good for you to be angry and sin and to get back at him. So I'm addressing the heart now, right? Having a conversation where we're going deeper and we're evaluating desires and, and motives. Number five. There's so much more we could say about number four, but I, I don't, we'll just do it disservice. So shepherding a child's heart is really great for that. Number five, a biblical means of parenting. Uh, so next week, much more practical how-to, but I, I do want to close with this point, a biblical means of parenting, uh, just leaning leaning toward now the actual application of, of all of this, answering that question, okay, how do we actually do this now, which we'll look at in, in weeks to come, but a biblical means of parenting. And first, I'd like to identify the great uh, inadequacy of parenting uh, to address how how parenting, even the best of parenting, falls short. And how the best of parenting will always fall short. Because what we're, what we're learning as we read through these scriptures, right? We're learning who children are. We're learning that we're here for their good. And, and we're learning that our, our goal is that they would be, that they would be saved. And so we're, we're going after their heart and we're, we're addressing their heart and we we know now that what our children need most is God. We're leading little ones to God. I mean, that's what we're talking about in this class. So we want to want to lead our children to God. Okay, your kids, they need God. They need Jesus. They need heart transformation. And this is what they need. This is their greatest need. Right, so here's the inadequacy of parenting. It's this realization. What your children need most, you cannot give them. So what, what your children's greatest need is a need that you cannot meet. You cannot change the heart of your child cannot change the heart of your child. So in one sense, we are totally helpless. And that's very important to recognize. Because helpless does not equal hopeless. Right? Helpless does not equal hopeless. But in terms of my role as parenting, I do recognize that I am totally helpless in that what my children need most, I cannot give them. Not only are there just no guarantees, but I just cannot give my child what he needs most. I cannot change my child's heart, but there is one who can. There is one who can. We cannot save our children, but there is one who can. Jesus. So this means of parenting becomes 
we've already identified this, that our children are, are entrusted to us, but now we must entrust our children back to God. And this is the this is the, the means of parenting. Another word for this is faithfulness. Faithfulness. So I cannot give my children what they need most. God can do this for them. Therefore, I'm not going to be a performance driven, success driven parent because I will be unsuccessful. Because I cannot save My children. And thankfully, God does not require you to save your children. But what he does require and what we must do and what the means of parenting is, is faithfulness. And faithfulness is entrusting our children to God. And maybe you missed this in this verse. I did. I did until recently. But listen to this scripture. I think it's a great illustration of this. Hebrews 11.23. And then I'm going to hook it up to Deuteronomy 34.10. They're both about Moses. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. I want you to look at that very first phrase, okay? By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. Whose faith? Whose faith? His parents' faith. What did Moses' parents do? They realized that they could not save their child. Could not protect their child. Do you remember what his mom did? I mean, you moms can imagine this. He's an infant boy. And she bundles him up literally in an ark. It's the same word. In a little makes a little raft for him. And she sends him down the river, right? She gives up her child. Now Hebrews eleven tells us that you know what she was doing? She was being a faithful mom. This child was entrusted to her. Now, what is she doing here? She's entrusting her child back to God. I mean, I've seen my wife struggle to send her children off to kindergarten. I don't think a child is going to kindergarten yet without a lot of tears. A lot. It is definitely a go to the mall day. <laughs> Tears, really, really hard. You imagine being Moses' mom? What does she do? By faith, tells us, by faith. She hit him for three months and then she, she gives him up. And you see what God did in Moses' life, Deuteronomy 34.10. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Let me ask you, what did his mom do? And I would say nothing other than entrust him to God. She entrusted her child to God. She gave her child up to God. And in her circumstance, it meant sending her baby down the river. 
But here was the hero of the story. And who saved Moses? And who raised Moses up? And who used Moses? It was God. And it was always going to be God. And the same is true with your children. You can not save them. So we can lead them to God. We can lead them toward God, but we can not save our children. So as we talk in weeks to come, I, you know, here's what I'm saying that that I want us. I want us to work really hard at this as parents. I mean, I want us to understand that children are a gift. I want us to have the goal before us that they would be saved, that they would love Jesus. I want us to labor to capture their hearts. I want us to work hard to take and lead our children to Christ. And, And if you do that and if you work hard at that, it is going to be by through through a lot of sweat and a lot of tears and a lot of blood and a lot of bruising and a lot of pain and a lot of suffering. That is going to be very, very, very hard work. It's going to be labor. It's going to be burdensome at times. And I'm going to make a push for that. I mean, I want us to love our children like that and lead them to Christ. But then I also want you to rest in Christ at the end of the day. To rest in Christ at the end of the day. To work hard in leading our kids to God, but knowing that we can't save our children. We have a job description. And it is to be faithful. Not to make little Christians. Our job is to be faithful. That's your goal. And again, we'll get into this more deeply. But that's, that is really good news. Because you can sin a lot and still be faithful. You can sin a lot and still display faithfulness and display the gospel for your kids. Joel Beakey, and I'll, I'll close with this quote. It's long, but I'll just read it. Put your children in the ark of faith. Bring them to God with your prayers of faith. Cradle them in your prayers in the ark of God's promises and with the vision of faith despite all dangers you see. Put all your hope in God who can do great things for you and your children. We believe God is sovereign in salvation, but we also believe that He works sovereignly through other people in our lives and through us in the lives of our children. Given this fact, we can help or hinder our children in many ways, even in the critical area of their relationships to Jesus Christ for their eternal well-being or woe. Foundationally, we must recognize that we are unable to give our children what they need most. We cannot give them new hearts or true faith in Jesus Christ. It is not in our power and does not rest on our shoulders. In one sense, this fact should encourage us. I do not know of any conscientious parents who thinks they have done all they can for their children. How appalling it would be if we had the power to give them new hearts and true faith, but we failed to do so. But knowing that we cannot give our children what they need most should also humble us. 
We are unclean parents who produce unclean children. Therefore, our children desperately need the cleansing, regenerating, saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ. He alone can give our children what they need most, but we can help them by bringing them to Christ. The consciousness of our inability to save our children is the soil in which our desire to bring them to Jesus will grow. That's sweet. That's why I like that book. Next week, prophets, priests, kings, and oxen. Third week, when you sin, and you will a lot. And then some future classes as well. So make sure before you leave, you, you write a question and put it in the, in the box. But before we leave, we still got a few minutes, if you like, and if you have one. Are there any questions in regards to the material that I went over tonight? Any questions or comments or maybe something you'd like to add? I'll close in prayer. I'll stick around for a bit if you do, if you think of something. Father in heaven, thank you for this night you gave us. And we pray, God, that you would, uh, you would cause these truths that we looked at to settle deeply in our hearts so that a life that honors you would flow from our hearts. God, help us to acknowledge and live as though our children are a reward from You, a a gift from You, a source of great joy. God, help us to live in a way that our greatest goal for our children is that they would come to know You and trust You. God, help us grow in our discernment and our ability to see past the external and see those deep thoughts that are the hearts of our children and be those wise men and women that are able to draw them out. God, and help us to remember that while this is a great burden, that it is not an unbearable burden. Because God, we, we know and we believe that ultimately our children are in Your hands. And so as... As Hannah did, we entrust our children back to You. We give them back to You. And we we live lives faithful, God, to Your call. But we are pleading with You to do the work that only You can do. And we acknowledge that we're completely dependent on You. So may our parenting never disconnect from You and and disconnect from Your Word and, and disconnect from our relationship with you but may that always our relationship with you be foundational for everything that we do for our sons and our daughters and god i pray that you bless all these families i pray that you bless these parents and parents to be i pray that you would give them uh, the abilities they need and the discernment that they need and the wisdom that they need you would give them the self-control that they need and the patience that they need the gentleness that they need and the firmness that they need and the knowledge that they need to lead these little ones to Christ. We pray this in 
the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.